was Moses, and uh, they attack Moses, right? And here's what intrigues me about the passage. Moses does nothing. He doesn't respond. It's like he doesn't, it's like it doesn't bother him in the least. It's like he's under attack and it doesn't, it just doesn't impact him whatever. He's fine. He's okay. He's happy. And then you know what happens? God steps in. And God deals with the situation. But it's like it never took a feather out of Moses at all. And I've always looked at that and think, you know what? I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be in the place where it didn't, things didn't uh, attack and, uh, and problems and issues didn't bother me. <clears throat> I'd like to be in the place where Moses was on that occasion. Right? And because I think that's a sweet place to be, right? <clears throat> uh, the song I'm his and he is mine has this verse. Uh, things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my peace. Isn't that a glorious thought? That nothing can get under your skin, irritate, bother, and get you going. That you're okay. Because you're safe with him. And if you add to it the fact that God steps in and deals with it for Moses, there's something in this issue that is really important for us to grasp, get a hold of, understand, and apply. And the issue we're going to look at tonight is meekness. Because the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses, uh, Moses says that he was the meekest man in all the world. He was the meekest man in all the world and nothing could get to him. Not where you want to be. And to add, to add to that, God dealt with this stuff for him. That's really where I want to be. I, so here's the deal. We're going to look at this and we're going to try and tease this out, out tonight. Either you're going to get bent out of shape, you're going to get a flap, you're going to sort out stuff for yourself... Or you're going to not react and leave it in God's hands and he's going to deal with it for you. you got to choose, though. That's a word of prayer and then we'll read our passage. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to you now, Lord, because, uh, Lord, we know that Moses obviously came to this place, but, Lord, I'm not sure that any of us in this room uh, is in this place. And yet, Lord, we can glimpse it and know it's the place to be. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, would you give us uh, this meekness? Give us an understanding of it. Give us an understanding of how you work in it. And, Lord, would you bless us so that we might walk with you in meekness and know the joy of resting in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study, by the way, we're we're studying through the Bible, and we're not hitting every chapter. It's not a a verse-by-verse study. Uh, That would take us forever, and we will get bogged down in some things that really... Uh, are probably not profitable for us to get bogged down in. But Numbers chapter 12 is the next chapter we, uh, we come to with a message for us. And we have a, c- a couple of chapters right here in this portion of Scripture. But remember, our theme is this. Our focus is this. How does this God that we serve work? How does he deal with stuff? What does our God do? What are, we see, what are the pages of Scripture revealing to us about our God and how we relate to him? Because that's, that's where we're at. We're his children. We live with him and walk with him. <clears throat> how, do the, how does the scripture yield up the personality of God and how he deals with his children? Because if we know him, then we know better how to serve him and how better how to walk with him. And we can have peace and joy in our lives. You realize, <clears throat> um, Jesus said to the Pharisees on one occasion, he said, ye do err, not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. Do you know the, the flaps and the problems and the issues and the, uh, oftentimes the depression in our lives is caused by the fact that we really don't know him like we ought. 
Because when we know him, he's able to lift all those things in our lives. That's what we're looking to. We're looking to to, to know him better and how he actually deals with his people. All right, so Numbers chapter 12. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, um, Miriam is Moses' sister. She's the girl that put him in the, in the bulrushes and followed along. And when Pharaoh's daughter plucked him out uh, of the bulrushes uh, and um, be, be, began to feed him, she's the one that said, listen, I'll get someone to, 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 to be a nurse for him. And she went and got mom, and mom came uh, and nursed Moses, right? Uh, so from the very first, from the early part of his life, Big Sis was looking after him. She was taking care of him. She was interested. And of course, when they went out in the wilderness, Big Sis became an important person uh, in the wilderness. And um, she was there with Moses, and she was kind of, she had position because she was the sister of Moses. And then Aaron, of course, is the spokesman that God gave him reluctantly, uh, mind you. But God gave him uh, Aaron to speak for him. And at this point, they turn against him. Now, it doesn't tell us why. Here's one thought, though, uh, that I read, and it's probably helpful. What happened is uh, Moses' wife, Zipporah, had um, recently come into the camp. And I think maybe what happened was between these two women, there was kind of an upset because, you know what, now Moses' wife was closer to Moses, and Moses' wife had position, and Miriam felt a little bit upstage. You know the way it can go between women? Uh, there can be those problems where one woman upstages another woman, and then there's an issue to deal with. I think maybe that's the beginning of this. Not sure. Scripture doesn't say it, but I think maybe that's the beginning of it. Um, but anyway, whatever happens, Miriam turns against Moses, and she enlists Aaron in it. Now, I don't have a very high opinion of Aaron. I don't see much in the scripture to give us a high opinion of him. I mean, God gave him a great place. He's, he's the leader, uh, you know, of the priesthood, and, and that was his family, and to be his family's job uh, forever. But you know what? He's the guy that, that made the golden calf. Uh, he, he, he just doesn't seem to have much backbone uh, to him, I suppose. I think if he, he's one of those characters that looks like if you put enough pressure on him, uh, he caves in, and he, he does what people want him to do on the occasion, totally unlike most. Moses. But anyway, that's what happened. So both of them are against Moses. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. <clears throat> Hath the Lord not only spoken by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. Now just, just imagine for a second, right? You're the big sister and the big brother. Uh, you, you, you hung out with the Israelites in Egypt after Moses uh, did his runner and was off away for 40 years in the desert. And um, he was hiding out in the desert. You know. <clears throat> but, but you were there. You were with them all through that time. And um, <clears throat> you, were, you were probably part of keeping the dream alive and keeping the hope alive. And now all of a sudden, here you have Moses. And Moses is the man. And not only is, is he the man, but his wife's come alongside, and, and somebody's feeling usurped by his wife as well. You know, this, this is, this is a, uh, an issue and a difficulty here. They're, they're, they're having a problem here, and um, they're, they're, they're beginning to feel, you know what, we're just as good as he is. We're just, listen, God's spoken to us too. And by the way, God speaks to all his people. That's what God does. God speaks to all his people. Sure. Um, he speaks to and through all his people. And, um, but there's an issue. And, and I love what it says there. And the Lord had it, heard it. And then it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. He was meek. 
So meek is the key to what's happening here. Meek is the word we're going to have to tease through. Because he's very meek. He's, he's, he's just doing whatever he's doing, and he's not responding, he's not reacting to this at all. Um, <clears throat> and the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam. Come ye out, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation, and they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. Now, that's interesting, by the way. <clears throat> when God commands Moses, he doesn't command Moses for being the cleverest man in the camp. He doesn't command Moses for being the best speaker in the camp. He doesn't command Moses for being the bravest man in the camp. He commands Moses for being faithful. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? It means that God can count on you to do the right thing. That's basically what it means. It means that God can count on you to actually do the right thing. Huge in the eyes of God. Moses was faithful. <clears throat> he was faithful uh, in all God's people. Right? <clears throat> and he says, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now catch what God's upset with. God's not actually upset for Moses. He's not saying, listen, how dare you? Moses is a good man. Moses is this. Moses is that. Moses is the other. And how dare you go up against him? He's saying, how dare you speak against my servant, Moses? <clears throat> um, God, is, God is upset because what, he, what they're doing here, God is taking as an affront to himself, not to Moses. Moses is being attacked, but God is saying, no, no, no. This is an affront to me. Uh, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous. Uh, sorry, and the anger of the Lord was kindled in verse 9 uh, against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin uh, upon us wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O Lord God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit on her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. All right? So <clears throat> Miriam and Aaron, they go up against Moses. Uh, Moses doesn't respond. God does. God gets upset because they're... <clears throat> They're actually stepping in the way uh, of, of his relationship with Moses and how he wants to use and work through Moses. God reacts, and, and, and Miriam ends up leprous. Now, I mean, leprosy was a death sentence, slow and miserable. Right? And not only that, you were put outside. You couldn't even be cared for in the camp. You got put outside the camp. It was pretty awful. And you know the only way out of the, uh, the death sentence for Miriam is Moses has to pray for her. And as soon as Aaron comes to him and asks him, Moses just, just does just that. He prays for her. And um, uh, God, after seven days, leaves her to be ashamed seven days as a last to her, and then he removes it from her. All right, now, <clears throat> that's, a, that's our general picture here. But I want to come back to this issue of meekness. 
Do you know, meekness is a big issue with God. This issue of meekness. Let me give you some of the verses. Psalm 22, verse 26. You can write them down. I have them written down here. You can write them down <clears throat> and look them up later. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Let your heart live forever. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. Okay, uh, Psalm 37, verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 147, verse 6, The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Psalm 5, verse, or sorry, Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 11:29 Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Right. And then um 1 Peter 3, verse 4 says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, <clears throat> here's two things I see about meekness that are a help to us. Right. The first thing is, it stops you from getting all bent out of shape and reacting, and that's painful. When we get bent out of shape, we get angry, we get upset, we fuss about things, and, and you know, we, we want judgment, we want justice, uh, we want to exact payment, and all it does is wear us out. Right? That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to see about it is, it is in the sight of God of great price. It is in God, God looks at this and God says, this is very valuable to me. This is, this is something that's very valuable. God says this is of great price. Uh, <clears throat> and by the way, we're looking, you know, when we look at 1 Peter 3 verse 4, that's speaking to the wife. It's actually speaking to the wife uh, <clears throat> of an unsaved husband, which would be a particularly difficult place for her to live, right? But, <clears throat> but what we're looking at in the other verses is, God, no, God's talking about meekness for all of us. You know, meekness is something that applies to all of us, something we all uh, ought to want and have in our lives <clears throat> for those two reasons. First of all, it makes life a whole lot easier for you. And secondly, in the sight of God, it's of great value. God thinks it's precious. Now, <clears throat> let's define first of all what meekness is. Meekness is the ability to accept God's dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting them. Okay, so how does that apply in, in, in Moses' life? How, how would Moses deal with the idea of Miriam and Aaron? Miriam and Aaron, were they doing right or wrong? You can answer me. Right? Were they doing right or wrong? They were wrong. Right? Now, so how does it apply that Moses uh, was supposed to be meek, that he was supposed to accept God's dealings with him? Could they have done anything to him apart from God saying, that's okay? No. God had allowed it to happen. God is never the author of sin. But God allows the sinful actions of people to affect our lives. He allows them in. Now, here's what happens when we're meek. We accept something as from the hand of the Lord. We accept something as being from the hand of of God. The reason Moses didn't react is not because he was a super under control guy. The reason Moses didn't react is simply because this, he knew this thing was of God, and if God hadn't allowed it to happen, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened, and he was quite happy. Something else about Moses that we need to notice is that Moses was not grasping for leadership. He was not looking for this job in the first place, and he wasn't looking for it after he had it either. 
Right? It wasn't a very fun job. I we, we can understand that, right? Um, but Moses was doing this job because God had told him to do it. And you know what? He wasn't grasping onto it and holding onto it. If God wanted to take it away from him, he was perfectly fine with that too. There was nothing to hold on to. You see, what we have is we have a man who submitted to the will of God, and he's perfectly uh, in, comfortable with God leaving it with him or taking it from him. There's another occasion when um, God puts the uh, Spirit of God on the 70 uh, leaders that, God, that are supposed to help Moses. Right? <clears throat> And that's an interesting occasion because Joshua comes running into the camp and saying, Lord, saying, uh, Moses, listen, they're, they're, they're all prophesying. And Moses says this, are you jealous for my sake? I would that the whole camp were, were prophets. I would that everybody was connected to God that way. You see, he wasn't grasping onto and holding onto something. It's hard for you to be meek when you're grasping and holding on to something. It's hard for you to be meek when you're grasping and holding on to how people treat you. They're supposed to treat me right because I don't, they, they don't treat me right and it's not fair. We can get pretty bent out of shape about that one. That, that w would be the one that would have caught Moses. This is not fair. I mean, I've, I've looked after them all through these years. I mean, Miriam's been my sister, my friend, and all the rest of it. How can she do this to me? He could have gotten all bent out of shape because he wasn't being treated right. Now, let me ask you. Do you get bent out of shape when you're not treated right? Do you get bent out of sh shape when people don't treat you the way you think you should be treated? And when you get bent out of shape, do you act like it's just people and God's not in it? Do you think God allows you to be treated in a way other than you deserve or you think you deserve? I think it can't happen apart from God allowing it. Now, t in this case, it didn't make what Miriam and Aaron were doing right. They were, they were not the messengers of God on a mission from God. They were wrong. God deals with them and shows they're wrong. But you know what? From Moses' perspective, what was happening is Miriam and Aaron were actually messengers from God to help him. And he was perfectly at peace with the fact that God's in charge, he's in control, and he can take care of this. Right? So, meekness is the ability to accept God's dealing with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting them. How often do you dispute and resist God's dealings with you? God's dealings with you. Now, now, let me say this. Rarely are we dumb enough to say, God, this is not fair. What you're doing to me is not fair. Right? What we do is we look at people. And we say, this is not fair. And we kind of exclude God from the picture. Um, what happens is we become practical atheists. In other words, there is no God for that moment. And uh, none of it was God's fault. It all, it all just happened because people were bad. I mean, people can't do anything apart from God letting them to. Wonderful example of that. Satan, most powerful creature <clears throat> on the planet. Right? And um, Satan, when he, when he wants to go and bother Job, he has to go and ask God's permission. And God gives him permission and limits him. You know, listen, nobody can do anything in your life apart from God allowing them. So get your eyes off of people and understand nothing's ever going to happen in my life apart from God letting it happen in my life. Helps a lot if you can put God in that place. <clears throat> right? I, it is to rely wholly upon God rather than on your strength to defend you against injustice. Could Moses have done something about this situation? He bad. He's a powerful man. 
He had an army uh, that could defeat other armies. Moses could have reacted to this thing, and he could have, listen, he could have really had some powerful words to say. He he could probably have had them both taken and imprisoned. If If he had commanded them to be executed, that's probably what would have happened. But he doesn't. He relies wholly on God rather than on his strength, right? <clears throat> Meekness towards people means knowing that God is permitting the injuries that they inflict. Now, that is such a hard one for us to bite down on. You mean to say, <clears throat> somebody does me wrong, and I have to accept that God allowed this to happen in my life and not get bent out of shape with them? I, I want blood. I, I want to sort this situation out. No, meekness is recognizing that God is involved in it. Now, let me kind of help you with it here. When somebody does you wrong, and you respond, get all bent out of shape, and go after them and deal with the situation, usually the situation instantly gets better, doesn't it? You solve the problem like that, the other person is humbled and terribly sorrowful, and um, you you just go away from it feeling all great and wonderful and happy about yourself. No, you don't. You know what happens? Typically, you dig the hole deeper. Typically, you make it worse. Here's what will end up happening. You'll end up digging the hole so deep that you won't know who was wrong and who was right before it's done. You see, we want to think we can deal with people, but we're not very good at it. Now, by the way, I'm not saying you can't go to somebody and say, I have a problem with this. And deal with the situation. But understand, you can't go in, wade in with your big size uh, 12s, and sort out the situation. It won't work. Right? <laughs> Meekness uh, towards people means knowing that God is permitting the injuries that they afflict. They couldn't touch you apart from God allowing them. Uh, it is the opposite of assertiveness or self interest. The meek person is one who is not occupied with self at all. Now, that's the exact opposite of everything your self-help books are going to give you. You need to assert yourself. You need to stand up and be counted. Don't let people walk on you. Don't be a doormat. You need to stand up and and give account of yourself and fight for yourself, because if you don't fight for yourself, nobody's going to fight for you. Now, some of you have spent your whole life fighting for yourselves, and you're just worn out and you're no better off. And we like to think we are, but, but if you look at the, the, the collateral damage to when you go to war for yourself, you know what? Uh, the collateral damage usually makes it not worth it. But meekness is <clears throat> coming to the place where you're not occupied with you at all. You say, but if I do that, I'll be run over. I'll be slaughtered. I'll be a doormat. No, not at all. Why? Because there's a God in heaven. And here's the deal. Remember, either you're dealing with your, with your situations, either you're fighting your corner and wearing out fast, or God's fighting it for you and getting it sorted out. Now, here we have in Numbers chapter 12, what we have is the dissolution of a family. How do you come back from this? Only when God steps in. By the end of chapter 12, the family is restored, sorted out. And everybody's recognized, hang on, this is God's order. The whole thing is, the whole thing is kind of um, clean, clear, and sorted. It's done. It's dealt with. Only God can do that kind of thing. We can make situations worse. But usually we can't really make them better. We can't really work them out and make them better. Now, 
Let's look at some examples of meekness from the Bible, right? First one is Moses in our passage. Okay, Moses was meek. Second one is David in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Now you've got to do a bit of work tonight, right? 2 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> All right, the background here is King David is on the run from his son Absalom. I mean, it's as painful a situation as you can possibly think. Absalom has set himself up. He's, he, 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 <clears throat> well, what he did was he finagled, manipulated his way back in uh, <clears throat> to the um, uh, kingdom. And then he found himself a place in the gate where everybody was going and coming and going. And David was busy. And David was all about <clears throat> the affairs of state and so on. And people were coming and going to see David not happy with the way he was dealing with them. And so Absalom is standing in the gate. And as you're coming out with a long face on you, Absalom says, what's wrong? He, I, I don't believe my father did that to you. That's, that's low. You know what? If I was the one that was king, I would deal with you much better. And so people are going away for, with a smile on their face and thinking, you know what? Absalom understands. He knows where I'm at. And what he did was he used his standing in the gate to steal the hearts of the nation. And then, of course, there came his day <clears throat> when he set himself up to be king. And he, 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 he crowned himself king. Uh, he, got De he got David's men behind him. And um, he was going to be king. Right? He, was, he, was, he was going to actually take over. And uh, so David, to preserve the peace of Jerusalem, took off. And he went on the run uh, with his faith faithful men. And as he's on the run, <clears throat> he encounters somebody that you really don't want to encounter when you're in a place like that. David's sore. He's wounded. His son has turned against him. That's not fun. And so <clears throat> he encounters a guy along the way, and let's read the story uh, from verse 5 we're reading. <clears throat> and when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. Right Now remember... God dethroned Saul and gave the throne to David. Now, so that didn't just affect Saul. That affected all his family. That affected all the house uh, of Saul. Everybody was affected by it. You know, they, they, they were removed from being the first place uh, in, um, in Israel. And David got that first place. So this guy's sore. He's bitter. This guy, Shimei, is sore and he is bitter. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> he came out cursing David and he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on the right hand and on his left. Uh, <clears throat> and thus said Shimei, uh, <clears throat> when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, uh, thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. That would really bother you, wouldn't it? That would get under your skin. That's called kicking somebody when they're down. And uh, it is... It is not very nice to do, and it's not, not a happy day. And then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take his head off. And he could have done it like that. And you know what? And nobody would have said to David, You shouldn't have done that. That was a mean thing to do. You don't curse the king. 
That's just absolutely impossible in these circumstances. And David has men about him who are ready to take and deal with the issue. You know what the most dangerous times for you are when you're actually able to take and deal with the issue yourself. Because that's when you can actually step in and do the most damage. And David has the power now to do it. But notice his answer. David's answer is amazing. Um, And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Wherefore hast thou done so? What's David doing? David's recognizing God's hand in this. This couldn't be happening apart from God allowing it to happen. Let him curse. And David said unto Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. But look at verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing today. And as David went, and, and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against them, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary, and refreshed themselves there. But look at verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look upon mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing today. Here's what's happening for David. David is off the throne for the time being. He does not know whether he's getting the throne back. It doesn't look good. Absalom has the army and has the power to do it. And you know what David understands? David understands that the throne was given to me by God, and he's perfectly at liberty to take it away from me anytime he likes. And he's also able to give it back to me if he wants to. So I'm not going to get involved in this thing and fight my own battle here. God's going to have to fight it for me. And he puts himself in that place of meekness. Now, you know what God does? God does exactly that. God restores him to his kingdom. But here's what we've got to catch. God responds to meekness. Now, here's, here's what happens. We're faced with a situation We want to react and respond and nail the person to the floor that did it. And when we draw back and say, no, Lord, it's in your hands, God responds. And when God responds, he's able to clear up the situation completely. And that's what God does in David's life as well. All right, let me give you another. Jeremiah 26, verse 14. Jeremiah is one of those characters in Scripture that, you know what, I would not want to be. Um, I wouldn't want to be Moses, but I less would want to be Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah is given this task. He's supposed to preach the gospel, and God tells him before he ever preached judgment on the nation of Israel, and God tells him before he ever starts, but you know what, Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to do what I tell you to do, Uh, you know, if I sent you to people that didn't understand your language, they would listen better. But these people won't. They're not going to listen to you. So Jeremiah goes uh, about his business, and, <clears throat> you know, there comes a point in chapter 9 where he gives up. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I will speak no more <clears throat> in his name. Uh, but God's word is like a fire in him, and he couldn't shut up. He had to speak, and so he ends up speaking. So in chapter 26, they've taken him, and they're about to kill him. 
All right, so chapter 26 and verse 14. He said, As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. Not fighting. He's not demanding his rights. He's not terrified. He's not looking at the situation and thinking, Oh, this is terrible. This is not fair. How could, how could I be in their hands? Right? <clears throat> but he said, But know you for certain that if you put me to death, you shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city, upon the inhabitants thereof, for of a truth. The Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priests and to the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assemblies of the people, saying, uh, and it goes on, where they, they removed the threat from Jeremiah's head. But understand this. Jeremiah is at their mercy, and he recognizes it, but he's in God's hands. And he knows it. So he has no reason to react and get all bent out of shape. He's meek. God's in control. God's in charge. I am okay. And I will be okay. Now, <clears throat> here's what happens in our hearts on this thing. You know, <clears throat> put in that situation, how would you respond? It's terrifying. I don't want to die. I want to live. I don't want to feel pain, definitely. I want to live. But for Jeremiah, what he's doing is he's saying, no, I'm in your hands, but understand God's in charge of the situation. And God removes it from the situation. Jeremiah is God's servant doing God's work, and he doesn't have to fight the battle. God's going to fight the battle for him. Do you understand how this thing works? Now, as far as the way the world looks at it, this thing is totally upside down. The world's going to look at this and say, that's madness. You need to do everything you possibly can for yourself. You need to fight your own battles. You need to <clears throat> fight to the bitter end. But when it comes down to this thing, if I'm God's servant doing God's work, why should I have to fight for myself? Why should I have to take it on board and fight for myself? I need to put it in his hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. I need to put it in his hand. <clears throat> All right, one other, in the Lord, the Lord Jesus in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. And the Lord Jesus is the example of all examples in everything right and good to us, right? 1 Peter chapter 2. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're looking at verse... Let's read from verse 21 down to the end of the chapter, right? <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even here unto where you call, because Christ also hath suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was Gaia found in his mouth. Right? <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ never did anything wrong. He's the only person that it could ever be said of. He did, never did anything wrong. Which meant, according to our system of fair play, he should never have had anything wrong done to him. Isn't that the way fair play works? If you don't do any wrong, you shouldn't have any wrong done to you. Okay? <clears throat> so, uh, um, verse 23 says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. 
When he suffered, he threatened them. You know, <clears throat> the Pharisees spent their whole time trying to get at Jesus. They wanted somehow to make him look bad in everybody's eyes. They wanted to find some fault, some sin, some wrong, some wickedness. I mean, what they, what they did was they sat around in council saying, how are we going to do it? Yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's ask him, should we, should we pay tribute to Caesar or not? That'll be a good one, because if he, if he says yes, he's in trouble. If he says no, he's in trouble. Uh, and then, and, and they, they spent their time trying to think up things that would just floor him and make him look bad in everybody's eyes. But they never could. Not once. Not once were they able to actually put something on him that made him look bad. He always came out with fantastic answers for them. No matter what they threw at him, he was able to take it, and he was able to turn it around and turn it right back at them. He was, he was masterful at it, because he was the master, right? <clears throat> so when they reviled him, he reviled not again. You know when he was on the cross? They had him, hadn't they? Because the Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You're hanging on a tree, Jesus. You must be cursed. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And <clears throat> they had him. Now, what would you want to do in that situation? Well, your enemies finally had the upper hand. They finally had you in the place where they'd wanted you all along, and they were making you feel it. What would you want to do? You'd want to come out swinging, wouldn't you? You'd want somebody to give you a drink of water on the cross so you could give them <clears throat> an earful of what you really thought of them. <clears throat> but he never did. He didn't respond. At all. Not once. He didn't react to them. How do you do that? But that, that's a different sermon. But he didn't. <clears throat> When he suffered, he threatened not. Can you imagine you're in the place where you have enough power to destroy everyone with a word from your mouth? Jesus, <clears throat> think it's not that I can pray and there will have 12 legions of angels and they will come and destroy all of you? I mean, he could have done it. One word from him and the Father, they would, they would have been there right then. And not only did he not do it, but he didn't even threaten them. I've been on that cross and I've been saying, don't make me mad, guys. You have no idea what I can do if you make me mad. You better quit this right now. Because if you make me mad, I'm telling you what, this, is, this day is going to end up, you think it's ending bad for me, it's going to end up much worse for you. When he suffered, he threatened not, didn't He never threatened them. He never did, not once. He, he, he didn't let it at all. Right? <clears throat> but look, notice what he did do. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He refused to fight his own battle. He put himself in his father's hand. And he said, Lord, I'm trusting you to fight this battle. You take care of it. 
You take care of me. You're in charge. I'm, I'm not fighting it. You know what? <clears throat> Jesus didn't pray, pray down the legions of angels to destroy the world. But a few years later, 30 odd years later, the Romans came in and they destroyed everything. They tore it apart. They tore the temple apart. They burned everything to the ground. They tore it all apart. The Jews were kicked out of their land. And they were out of it for 2,000 years. The Jews suffered humiliation. And <clears throat> they suffered persecution like no other people have ever suffered. His father dealt with it. Completely. Jesus didn't have to deal with it. You know what needs to happen for us? We need to be a people that fight our own battles. And if you're going to fight your own battles, go for it. When you're weary, tired, and fed up, and not winning, come back and give it all to the Lord. Because I guarantee you that's going to happen in your life. Or you know what you can do tonight? You can surrender your battle to Him. You can put yourself in his hands. You can say, Lord, I can't fight it. Don't have the power, don't have the strength. And anyway, you're in charge. You know, David could have taken that guy's head off. Like that. And he would have looked like the man to all these people. But God would have taken note of it. Okay, David fights his own battles. Let him fight them. And I don't know that David would have ever gotten back on the throne. I couldn't prove that for you, but definitely it would have affected how God handled them. Yeah, Moses could have silenced Miriam and Aaron. He could have said, Miriam, if you don't keep quiet and get back in your box, I will pray the Lord and he will turn you into a leper. And you know what? Miriam probably knew that if Moses said that, that God would probably do it, but he didn't do it. Could have told him, going to have you put in the guardhouse. But he didn't do it. He trusted himself to him that judgeth righteous judgment. Jeremiah could have gotten all bent out of shape. But he didn't. He trusted himself to him that judgeth righteous judgment. That's what you and I need to do, too. We need to trust ourselves to him that judgeth righteous judgment. Now, in order for us to do that, we need to have faith. We need to trust Him. And we can only trust Him when we know Him. See, if your meek and quiet spirit is in the sight of God of great price, you need to kind of factor that in to your dealings with men. God's in charge. He's able to do it. You can't, I can't. But he's able to do it. What about in your home? You're being treated wrong. God's in charge. He's able to work it out. Let him work it out. Or you can go in battling all the way <clears throat> and try and make it happen. And you know what? Typically, you're just going to make it worse. You're going to dig the hole deeper. Yeah, you can battle it out and work. You can duke it out. You've got a boss who's giving you a hard time and, and you're not happy with the way he's treating you. You can win. You can duke it out. You can fight it out. 
And you can leave the job and you can say, that I, I gave him a piece of my mind and he knows what I think now. But you know what? You'll be fighting your own battles. Or you could submit to God and say, God, you know what? This couldn't happen apart from you allowing it happen. Now, Lord, I'm looking to you and I'm depending upon you. Lord, you take care of it. That's a meek and quiet spirit. And God steps in where there's a meek and quiet spirit. Basically, the choice is this. <clears throat> Either you and I are going to fight our own battles and kill our own snakes, or we're going to say, no, Lord, you do it, and put ourselves in his hands. And he is able when we are not. And when he decides to do it, he can do it completely. By the end of chapter 12, it's all sorted. She's had leprosy, she's gotten over the leprosy, and they're all back on the road again. So what's it going to be with you? Are you going to trust what you can do and make it happen? Or are you going to have a meek and quiet spirit and let him make it happen? You say, Pastor, how do I apply that day-to-day -day in my life? I honestly can't tell you because everyone's situations are different. Y you're going to have to just look to the Lord and ask Him to show you the way. How do you apply it? How do you do it in your life? But He can show you how to apply it in your life. But I know this, that when you have a meek and quiet spirit, two things happen. First of all, the stress, the tension, the angst, the pressure trains out of it for you and secondly God steps in and that's what I want and that's what you want but we have to trust him to do it will he do exactly what you want no God's not your hound dog he's not going to go after somebody and sort them out but he will take care of it in the best way you need to trust him you know <clears throat> fruit of the spirit is meekness part of the fruit is meekness that we're meek that we actually don't react to everything because God's in control that we look at the situation and we allow God to be God in our situations we allow him to be in control you know what <clears throat> the spirit of God as you walk with him can enable you to be meek even if you've been a fighter all your days, you can be meek. Put it in his hands. Let me read the verse again in First Peter. <clears throat> Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Got a problem in your life that you can't handle right now? Commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. Put it in his hands. He can do it. You can't. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your people. And Lord, we thank you for the problems and the difficult people that you bring into our lives, too. Now, Lord, <clears throat> we're much more inclined to fight it out on our own behalf than we are to put it in your hands. And yet, Lord, we know that putting it in your hands is the best thing. And our blessed Spirit of the living God, would you convince our hearts and then, Lord, would you encourage us and help us to do it 
And Lord, because our faith is small and it's so hard for us to see you and the reality of how you work, let us see quickly what it is that you can do. But Lord, may each one know the blessing of meekness in their lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.